there's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves walking out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we don't just say right. But there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive it. You can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. Salvation through repentance, 
so glad that you're here today and thanking God for all that he's done. Uh, this is Legacy Weekend here at the church, and what we're liking to do here today, we want to welcome home Pastor John and Joanne Arnold. He was pastor here. Let's welcome them and Joanne. Pastor for 47 years, and, and uh, we just thank God for the legacy that we have here at the church 
God has done so many great things over those 47 years. And in the past year and the next year to come, the next year to come, the next year to come, we're looking forward to see what God will do because we have a great foundation. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. Amen? And that is what built our church, and that is where we will continue to build our church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So we thank God for all that he has done here at the church. But this morning, I, I, I pulled together a legacy panel, okay? These folks, uh, this is not the Inquisition, all right? This is a legacy panel, and what I'd like to do is just let a few of them speak. Uh, first, I have, there, there's two, I'm going to call them charter members over here, all right? These are charter members. They were here before Pastor John came, and uh, that was a long time ago. So we thank God that you're still with us, and we thank God. That <laughs> Can we give them a hand for that? We thank God they're with us, you know. They, uh, they've seen a lot of people that, uh, that have come and literally gone to be with the Lord. And uh, we thank God for the time that you, that you have served God faithfully in our church, and you have given. So uh, we're going to start with Ted. I'm going to put a picture up of Ted Ted, do you remember that guy? I'm not sure where that came from, all right? But that was, I think, an early directory in the church there. Ted, it's hard to believe. I've never met that Ted. This is the only Ted I've known, all right? But uh, Ted, Ted, you were were here before, Pastor, and you were telling me a story of how the... uh, what you did to help help get him here. So pull that up good and close okay. and tell us that. I can remember when he came fresh out of Bible college and he served in these couple of services for us. Man, I said, we got to keep this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and we finally did. And look what God has blessed, how our church grew back then. And, and you were on what a, it is today. You were on a team of people that voted him in. You right. helped vote, right? And so was Betty. All right, so, all right, so, so, so he, 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 helped, uh, he helped vote Pastor Eddie. Can we thank God for, for these guys who, who laid the foundation, you know? Uh, Ted, you, uh, the, the old building over there, straight, we, we call it Straight Street. It's our teen center over there now. Um, that's where the church started, really, and, uh, and yep. you, were, you were part of that building over there. Right. Did you actually help build it over there? Some of it. He helped build it. I heard the word was used. They Plain had brick. Brick, right? They were right. used brick. Scrape bricks. Scrape bricks. We had a bus putting in the bus accidentally hit the building down below. It's Mike Hamrocks. Okay. And tore the bathroom down. Oh, wow. <laughs> Preacher said, how are we going to fix this? Hey, Pastor, you remember, I'm a bricklayer. I'll fix it. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> we got a bricklayer who can do anything, right? We thank God for Ted. Uh, let's give him a hand. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> Betty Stitch. Betty yeah. Stitch. Um, my family I married into told me all about building the church. I wasn't there. The kids scraped the bricks and while the men laid them, so it was something. But yes, I remember, and I'm trying to remember, 47 years ago when Pastor Arnold came to our church. I was, uh, I was up front. I was Sunday school superintendent at the time, and I looked back, and I thought, Man, where did that handsome man come from? You know? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so I was kind of excited. But I think I was way when we voted him in, but I'm not sure because I, I don't remember. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, what I do remember is uh, especially his gung-ho. You know, I figure if he can do it, I can do it, because I was older. <laughs> and uh, he, he amazed me with his, uh, 
or whatever you call it. It's his personality. I have the opposite personality. And anyway, uh, visitation, that was, that was something exciting for us. That was the first time, the first pastor could get people to come out and go visit. And we went from door to door in twos. And, and it was exciting coming back and to, uh, to hear the testimonies of what went on and see them come to church Sunday morning, to see them coming down the aisle to receive Christ as their Savior. It was really exciting there. And my husband, I can't neglect this, Pastor Arnold. But when he first came, I went and I told him about my husband. He would not go to church, only when his dad was living. And, uh, and I told him about he's a rebel, and uh, you might have some trouble, but, you know, he went right for it. He won my husband to the Lord. And when I think about it, I'm so thankful today because he's in heaven with the Lord. But he told Bob, he says, you need to get baptized because he accepted the Lord at different times, only when he was scared. And, uh, but it would soon fade away. But he got him to get baptized and got him to join the church, and he'd come to church, never before now, but he came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night. That was something. I was so excited, and uh, I praise God for Pastor Arnold for what he did for him, because I know where Bob is now. And Diane Mussey, Diane has been our secretary at the church. There's a flashback of Diane. I never met that Diane either. And uh, there's Faith and Dave, I'll tell you. Um, Diane, would you uh, just share a little bit about your your part of the legacy journey here? Okay. Um, My husband, Michael, had met Pastor John in uh, some pastor's meetings that he had gone to with our, our pastor at that time. We were attending a church in Manesson. And um, we decided to visit the church here. Um, we visited on a midweek service, and then we came and we saw the first living Christmas tree that was here. And uh, my, my children were babies then, and they, it was a hard winter for us. They were sick. They took turns being sick. And I never got back to a Sunday morning service until Easter and so we uh, came together as a family. I was excited about that. And um, I went to put my son into the nursery. And the nursery at that time was back in Rhonda Barner's office. And they were wall-to-wall children. And I said, can I help? And, and it was Alicia, and I, I can't say that I knew that until just recently. She said, yes. <laughs> And I was thrilled to death because I felt like I hadn't been able to do much for the Lord and his work for months and months, except, of course, take care of my family, which is our first our first joy. And um, so Easter Sunday morning was spent surrounded by children. That was great. Then um, 1978, I got a call from um, the church, and I had an opportunity to serve in the um, office uh, in exchange for having helping with my children to be part of our Christian school that we had at that time. 
and um, it was a few years later um, that the people and the staff of this church and the wonderful truth of God's word that had been invested in all of our lives really sustained my family when my 39-year-old husband died. And so I, can, I am grateful to God. I am just so grateful to God that he let me um, live in his house all these years, um, be a part of uh, Pastor John's ministry and, and what the Lord was doing, and now Ken's ministry. Um, it is a privileged and blessed seat to sit in. I'm telling you, you watch the hand of God working in the lives of people, and there's nothing better than that. Thank you. Thank you. Alicia Peterson, uh, she's been our faithful bookkeeper. And there's a flashback of Alicia and her kids and, and Pete, who's now with the Lord. And uh, Alicia, would you just share a little bit about the journey? You know, number one, there is a lot of truth to be involved and in being part of a church where when you do have a tragedy that there's a lot of support behind you. That's what the church is. That's that support system that we need in our lives. And, but um, I am actually, we are products of the Monday night visitation. We Two guys came to our house. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think it was Phil Azalina and Rick Smale that came to our house and ta- talked to us about coming here. Now, we were already in a church, but that church was not allowing us to to serve God the way we felt God wanted us to serve him. And so we began to come here at the little church. Pete and I were probably the last couple to be baptized in the old church before we moved up here. And, um, um, gee, I forgot what I was going to say. So at any rate, this is, this is where we've been. This is where we've raised our family. We've watched pastor as God has led him to start a Christian school when we came, the bus ministry was already involved, and, and we got involved in the bus ministry. And so we've watched him answer God's call for whatever ministry that, that um, he's called him to do. He's been a faithful servant. He's, he's walked, walked fields and prayed, and, you know, he is, he is why we are here today. He has obeyed God's call. Amen. And Patty Shepley, you, you came here. I know you've been here many, many years as well. And uh, you, you, um, you have an interesting story how that you're, you come from a large family and how that you accidentally found the church, right? Right. It, it, it was an accident for us, but not for God. He's, he's totally in control of what goes on. Uh, yeah, I was born fourth of nine children. My father died when I was 11 years old, so my mother was widowed. Um, and as a result of a Monday night visitation, and we were raised in a different church, but not one that preached the gospel, told us about Jesus as our per- could be our personal Savior. We knew Jesus died for the sins of the world, but I didn't realize he died for my sins. I didn't realize what a sinner I was. Um, but anyway, on a Monday night, Pastor Arnold was out on his visitation, his weekly visitation, and he couldn't find a house that he was, people had visited, and so he was out, he stopped at our house uh, on Bower Hill Road over here, which then was just a little country road, um, and 
came into the house and my mother was there. And what he didn't know at the time was that my mother had been struggling with life issues uh, prior to that. And just days before had, had pounded her fists on her bed saying, God, you've got to help me. And that Sunday, a pastor talked to her that night. And that Sunday she came to church and she got walked down the aisle and got saved. Uh, some of the kids came um, one story after another, but at that time, I knew what I had uh, my plan for my life. I was not interested in what my mother had to say. But she kept praying for me. And Pastor has said thousands of times from up here, the effective, effective fervent prayer of a righteous mother availeth much. And her prayers got me to come to the living Christmas tree five years later, sat up there in the balcony, and when the time of invitation came and Pastor gave the um, message about how Jesus yeah, came as a baby, but he died in the end for our sins. Not, not his end, but uh, that was the end of his life here on earth. But um, I heard that message and I just accepted it readily. And since then, I've been walking in the Lord, with the Lord and helping around the church and just growing um, under pastors, uh, preaching, and many other talented, gifted people in this church for the way, what they know about the Lord and the Bible. And um, so thank you, Pastor and Joanne. Joanne, I sat in Joanne's class for a long time, too. So thanks for your help, too, in, in, in my journey here. Let's thank the Lord, shall we? We, uh, I want to thank God for, for all these folks here. They're part of our legacy, and I see there are many other faces that have stopped in to visit today, uh, that you've been part of the journey, you're part of the legacy of this place, and we thank God for all of you. And uh, we wish we had time to just go on and share story after story, because God has been so good, and God is continuing to be good. And I tell you, the legacy that they, that they helped to build, that Pastor John helped to build here, is continuing. Every week, somebody's coming to the Lord around this place. And it's just phenomenal. Uh, last week, we baptized a young man, Steve Sheltman. He came to Christ. He was baptized, and he's growing in Christ. This morning, we had another lady come to Christ in our first service. And it's just an exciting place to be, the church, the family of God. Can we thank God for the church? Amen? I think we have a few people to help you there. At this time, I'd like to just go over a brief announcement this morning. We say thank you for coming to Crossroads today. At this time, please pass the friendship folders down the aisle. Uh, just two brief announcements this morning. Our, our vacation Bible school is coming up. Gadgets and gizmos. I want to encourage you to, uh, to sign up to serve. If you go to the table in the back, sign up to serve. If you'd like to get your child into vacation Bible school, Go to the church website and please register them on the website. Uh, we're excited about the opportunity here to reach out and bring people to Jesus. That's our mission here is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're thanking God for these opportunities to serve. Coming up on July 21st, then the Friday night, we're going to have, we were supposed to have a June jamboree, but it was underwater, all right? It was so wet out there, all right? So now it turned into a July jamboree. So that will be on July the 21st, Friday night, uh, after, at the end of Vacation Bible School. We're going to have our band will be playing out there. There'll be all kind of fun things for the family. Go to the church website this week. You'll be able to get a free ticket. It is a ticketed event so that we can control how many people, because we only have a limited 
parking area. So please go to the website, spread the word. This time I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward. As they come forward this morning, uh, I'd like to re- uh, welcome all of our guests here. If you're a first-time guest here to Crossroads, please stop by our welcome center. We have a gift for you. We'd like to say thank you for being here today. Uh, if you are a guest, feel free to let this offering plate pass you by. This is for those that are regular in the grace of giving this morning. And then uh, one last announcement is uh, after this service, please plan to stay and join us over in the, uh, over in the gymnasium. We're having a picnic lunch in honor of Pastor, and John, uh, Pastor John and Joanne visiting us this weekend from Texas. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for all that you're doing. You're moving in great ways in the church, Lord. Thank you for the legacy that we have. As we look back and we pause and remember the past, Lord, we, we know that we can't go back there, but we, we can honor it. And we honor the past today, Lord. We honor you, what you have done. And God, we thank you that today as we look to the future of the church, we know that you're doing great things and you're moving mightily in our church. Thank you for the ways that you've been working every day in the life of these people. In your name we pray. Amen.
Amen. As we continue this morning, uh, before Pastor John comes up, I thought I'd show you just a few pictures of his legacy. This was Pastor John and Joanne, and I believe that's Danny and Johnny with them, and his parents at his ordination. And that was um, a long time ago, folks, all right? And uh, there's the little church where our church started. Many of you may not know that. There's a little building over there in library. It's on the corner of Victory and Brownsville over there. Uh, Pastor John came, and uh, that's where he started the ministry. There he is teaching over there. They see his sons there <laughs> enjoying the teaching, right? And uh, he is excited. You can just see the energy all over this man, loving the Lord, loving the people. This was groundbreaking, all right? And Pastor John is over at the left there, kind of got caught off there. But here he is uh, praying a dedication over this land. And uh, every now and then we think the land looks like that up here still, doesn't it, you know? It's a a little bit barren out there. But imagine, they came up here, there was nothing here. And they said, we see what God could do. Amen? That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, uh, and that's our job of the next generation, to continue to build God's work. And you see a few of the trusses, the steeple. When they brought the steeple in, I could just imagine how excited they were to see that come in on a trailer bed to be erected on top of the church. And then the next picture here, we'll go to the next one, uh, the, this last picture here. This is the, the, the young pastor, John and Joanne, with Johnny, Stevie, and Danny. And could you welcome back my pastor, my mentor, John Arnold. Thank you very much, Ken. Uh, This is a wonderful day for me and Joanne, and uh, we're so happy to be here. Uh, It took us about a year and a half to build up courage to come back. (laughs) You know, when you live your life uh, in the church with with all of your friends, it's uh, it's hard to leave. And uh, I was telling somebody earlier, I know more about the lives of the people in this church now because we have Facebook than I did when I was the pastor. When I look out today, I see some empty seats. I know exactly where they're on vacation. I know what their swimming wear looks like. And I... I, I know way too much. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, I'd like to talk to you about the blessing of the church. We want to begin reading in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjono, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here we have a picture of a place called Caesarea Philippi. If you were to take a trip to Israel, I'm sure that the, that the tour guides would take you to this place. Uh, I want you to imagine that uh, Jesus is there in Matthew chapter 16, and he's talking to um, his disciples, some 12 very ordinary followers of him. This particular place is about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. If you climb the mountain nearby, Mount Hermon, you can see into Syria, and Damascus is not far away. This is called Caesarea Philippi to distinguish it from the other Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean, so you can tell the difference. The place was littered with the temples of Syrian gods. Uh, there was a white marble temple to Caesar there. It was the center also for the worship of Pan, P-A-N. Um, he was a god in Greek mythology. And this was the place that Jesus chose to make an important announcement. Jesus set himself against this backdrop right here of all these false religions, and he asked the question in verse 13, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, Jesus said to his disciples, What are they saying on the street about who I am? Tell me. Verse 14, he got the answer. Some people believe that you're John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist had just been beheaded not too long before this event. And there were some people that believed that he was going to come back and haunt those who beheaded him. And so they thought maybe, maybe this person called Jesus is really John the Baptist come back from the dead. Other people said he was Elijah. After all, remember the last book of the Bible, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, last chapter, verse 5, second to last verse, said that Elijah would come before the Messiah came. And you know that the Jews today leave a vacant chair for Elijah to come back when they celebrate the Passover. Some people thought that, that uh, this Jesus was Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Other people thought he was the prophet that Moses predicted in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And you know, this is all very high praise. It really is. Jesus would have been in good company in this group. And there are a lot of people today that, that believe that Jesus belongs in this group. Another historical figure, a prophet who came from God. Uh, just another person that God sent down to this earth. But Jesus said, now listen, that's what the people in the world are saying. What do you say? Who do I am? Who am I? And look what Peter said, verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah or the Christ the Son of the living God. This we call a great confession. This confession embraces two propositions. First of all, the office of Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah. Secondly, the divinity of Jesus. He is the Son of God. Christhood of Jesus implies his humanity, for as such he was to be the Son of David, it also identifies him as the hero of the subject of prophecy, the long-expected deliverer, in declaring Jesus to be the Son of God. The divinity of Jesus, the Son of the living God, is a title used in the Old Testament over and over again, the living God. 
And so we hear, have in this confession two things. Uh, we have that he is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. And, uh, but he's also the son of the living God. He is God. The Hebrew word is Messiah, and the Greek word, of course, is Christos. We Englishize it into Christ. It means the same thing. It means the anointed one of God. You remember when you read in the Old Testament about kings, how they were anointed before they uh, entered into their kingship. Well, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus was preaching in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, and he was the Bible reader of the day. And they gave him the scriptures, and uh, they opened it to Isaiah chapter 61, and Jesus read this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me. Jesus is saying that he was anointed by God. He was the anointed one. He was supposed to preach the gospel to the poor. Who is the poor? Those were the poor in spirit of Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. People who are broken in their spirit and realize their need of God. He was sent to heal the brokenhearted, and Jesus has been doing that for a long time, hasn't he? To proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, Jesus is saying that he is the anointed one. He is the promised Messiah of Israel. Napoleon said one time, I know man, and Jesus Christ is more than a man. Well, that's an understatement. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, just as he said he was. I and my Father are one. He is God in the flesh. That was the great proclamation. Here we find uh, an announcement, the great announcement in verse number 18. Look at it in your Bible. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Here we have a play on words. Jesus says to Peter, listen, you're Peter, Petros, that means a little rock, but upon this rock, Petra, large rock, foundation stone, I'm going to build my church. We believe that the church is built on Christ. Paul made it very clear in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice this morning that he's, he said, I will build my church, ecclesia. It means called out assembly. And here we are as living proof today that God has called you out. God has called me out. He has called us together to assemble ourselves into a congregation. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? You know, the church is a refuge to encourage each other. Uh, I, I think I never realized as the pastor how much of a ref, refuge it was for the average member of the church. How important it was for them to get out of their environment, their work environment, and come into the church where it was filled with love and praise to God. Because I was only dealing mostly with Christians and uh, the church staff and things of that nature ministering to them. The church is, the church is a, a refuge. It's a place that we come together and we open the Bible and we pour over its pages and we gain strength for the journey. Uh, that's a wonderful thing, but the church is more than that. And in the very same breath, look at what Jesus said here in verse 18. 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's kind of an ominous statement, really. The gates of Hades, hell and death. You know, in ancient times, the cities were surrounded by walls and gates. In the battles, the gates of the cities would usually be the first target for the enemies to assault. They were always the most vulnerable. The protection of the city was determined by the strength of the gates. Now, how strong are the gates of Hades? That's the question. Not strong enough to keep the Lord's people from breaking them down. Jesus said, listen, there, are, there is such a thing as the gates of hell, but listen, church, don't be afraid. I have more power than they. Now, the imagery is this. There are people behind those gates that must be rescued. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down what? Strongholds, right? Pulling down gates, knocking down the gates of Hades. Now, Jesus is saying in this verse, help is on the way. I went to a pastor's fellowship meeting in a place called Alva, Oklahoma. It's a little spot at the top of Oklahoma. How many people have ever heard of that place on the map? Alva, Oklahoma. I had one person in the, in the Saturday night service heard of that place. And the pastor said, come in a little bit early and we'll get a few pastors together in a van and we'll go out to the minimum security prison in Alva, Oklahoma. There are 800 inmates there that I witness to every week. That was his, one of his ministries at the church. And I said, well, that sounds pretty exciting. And so here we were, about four or five pastors packed into a van, and we ended up at this little prison. I mean, 800 inmates. Almost all of them are young. They told us that almost all of them are here because of, because of alcohol and drugs. Uh, and uh, one of the pastors, not me, got up and told them the greatest story ever told. And you could have heard a pin drop in that place. When they gave the invitation, a lot of people came forward to be saved. And we had about four or five pastors, and we didn't know what to do with all these people, so we broke them up into groups, and I had a group, and someone else had a group, and, and we, it was like a group salvation experience. I said, pray with me, and they all followed in prayer, and you know how, how you do that. And after, after that was over, one of the young guys came up to me, and he said, listen, you, you guys make this all sound so easy. I think it was like a dream world, what we were talking about to those people. And I thought later that, con that comparatively speaking, it's easy for us because we saw the faith of God lived out in our homes, didn't we? We had homes that our parents taught us to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I prayed that so many times as a kid. My mother told me to pray that. Uh, we were raised in homes where our mothers brought us to Sunday school and we learned Jesus loves me, this I what? For the Bible tells me so. Uh, I looked out across that audience in Alva, Oklahoma, and I saw the most hopeless expressions on people's faces I've ever seen. Uh, I guess I live in a sheltered world, really. Uh, but uh, their world is different than our world. The only world those guys knew was the world of darkness. Grow up and become a drug pusher. That was their goal. 
That's the way we make our living. Well, the gates represented here that Jesus is talking about represent the power of hell. And for those of you who like to write in your Bible, I, I have my Bible all written over. Uh, that's a good thing to write down. The gates represent the power of hell. And Jesus says the church is stronger than the powers of hell. What's Jesus' attitude toward the church today? Ephesians 5.25 says Jesus is in love with the church. Whenever you think of the church, I tell you, we, we sometimes pick at it, uh, all of its spots and problems sometimes that it has. But Jesus is deeply in love with the church. And I often thought, if Jesus loves the church so much, maybe I should pray that God would help me love the church the same way. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, Jesus didn't just make a proclamation one day, listen, I love the church, that's it, you got it. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Even greater love is when a man lays down his life for his enemies. That's what Christ did. One day, Jesus laid down his royal robes. He descended into our world. He chose to live in a poor family across the tracks in a place called Nazareth. And you know what Nathaniel said about that. Is there any good thing that ever come out of Nazareth? Well, he spent 33 years living among us. And he gave his life up on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. They placed his body in a borrowed tomb, and he went to paradise. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and then he sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost to empower the church. And we are now called the body of Christ on earth. Everything is now ready for these prisoners to be rescued behind the gates of Hades. And so the story jumps to Acts chapter 2, the great empowerment, the control of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in chapter 1 that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all together in chapter 1, and then they were filled with the Spirit. Well, remember this, the church will never fail. Though generation after generation succumbs to the power of physical death, Yet the generations will arise to perpetuate the church. It will continue until it's fulfilled its mission on earth. And what is the mission? The mission is go tell everybody about what I've done for them. That's our mission, isn't it? That's your, that's your calling. That's my calling. That's what we do. That's, that's the job of the church. Jesus said, in effect, you're my hands, you're my feet. Go storm the gates of hell. Take captives. Lead them out. Don't stop for anything. Crash the gates. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, who are these people behind those gates? Uh, I think there's a, a lot of religious people behind the gates of hell. Uh, religion has never been a friend of Christ. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you find they are the ones that actually pushed the Roman Empire into crucifying Christ. Uh, there are many people today that are blinded by religion. Uh, people who are religious but lost. I believe Satan is very religious. He carries a Bible. He quotes scripture. He's really good at it. He has churches everywhere. And uh, you can identify those churches when you go there because they never warn the people about judgment to come. They never talk about Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. They never point the people in the church to a personal savior in Jesus Christ alone. 
Now, those are religious people. They need to be rescued from their religion. There are others who are blinded by procrastination. How many people do you know that said, listen, I have every, I have every uh, intention to get right with God before I die, but not right now. And they just keep putting it off and off and off, and sometimes they never get a chance. Those people need to be rescued. There are other people that say that they don't want to give up their lifestyle or lose their friends. or The Christian life is too hard. Let me say today the Christian life is not too hard. It's much easier than a life in the world. Think of the guys in the prison in Alva, Oklahoma. Well, 1 John 5, 3 says, My commandments are not hard. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You link up with me, you connect with me, and I'll tell you what, life is lighter. I'll help you carry it. There are some teenagers, I think, too, that need to be rescued. They're raised in good homes. They're warned by their parents, don't get involved in drugs. Don't hang out with people who drag you down. But peer pressure is tremendous in our world today. Joe DeGenero, some of you know. Joe told me one time that he grew up in the shadow of the World Trade Center in New York City, and he said, all my friends are dead. And he goes down the list, and he said, Billy, he died in prison, and Randy, he died of an overdose, and, and Charles, he was shot on the streets, and he, he goes through this whole speech of all his friends are dead, and Ilona, Ilona, his wife, talked him into going to church one day at the little, at the Baptist Church in Heidelberg and he was drunk and she drug him into church and plopped him down in the back and usually you know I never knew that too many people came to Christ in that condition but Joe did he came to Christ and he became a wonderful wonderful witness for Christ Ilona rescued him behind the gates of what? hell, right? Well, uh, then there's the great transformation. Uh, that's what Christianity is all about. It's changing your destiny. We can go to heaven when we're saved. Uh, we can taste a little bit of heaven on earth while we're here. It's a transforming thing. From the very first day, the church demonstrated this. They that gladly received his word were baptized, and there was added unto them on that day 3,000. That was kind of like the Lord saying, listen, I want to show you a little picture of how strong the church really is when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the church can't be stopped. And believers were added to the church, and the church really started to take off. You know, before Joanne and I arrived here, way back in 1968, there was a group of faithful Christians here. Uh, uh, and the, they built the church, as you heard, with their own hands. Uh, and they kept believing that maybe God has a purpose for this church. Isn't that cool? Never despise the day of small things. Because God is not bound to work in any way that we conceive that he should work. In fact, he likes to work through small things. Because he's the one that gets the glory. Amen? Sure. And so Joanne and I showed up... Um, 
And we started to believe with them that God could rescue those who needed a savior. We graduated from Bible college and they said there at Bible college, go find a place on the map and start a church and stay a lifetime. We had two little boys at the time, Johnny and Dan, and I had a little red Volkswagen. How many people have ever had a Volkswagen? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. You're not too enthusiastic, are you? <laughs> I was excited about that Volkswagen, but I forgot that the back seat was only about this big. And when you put two boys in, what happens when you have a back seat this big? They fight all the time. I can't tell you how many times I pulled off the road and I grabbed those kids out of the back seat and we had a, we had a meeting. <laughs> Listen, I did not advise doing that. Well, uh, God sent other people to believe with us. And the church back in those days, as it is today, was filled with enthusiasm. Uh, Ron and Sharon came and Ralph and Debbie and excuse me if I don't mention your name, but I just wanted to mention a few. Ross and Carolyn, Trudy Wilman and Bob and Betty and Clyde and Judy and Pete Peterson and Don Patterson and Stan Perney and the list goes on. God sent us these people. Some of them were saved. Uh, some of them were not. But we had so much energy. 45 years passed very fast. Joanne and I, let me say this. Joanne and I were never discouraged in the ministry. Never. I never went home and told her, listen, I'm, I'm beat up. I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. I, we never did that. We were always excited about what God was doing in the church. Uh, it was kind of a miraculous thing, really. God was using our people to introduce other people to the kingdom of God and its king. We had our setbacks, to be sure, but, you know, that was good, too, because it drew us closer to Christ. And the closer we were to Christ, the more we grew into the persons that God wanted us to be. And it made us more dependent upon him, and it made us stronger. Uh, we had prayers in the church. This church was built on prayer. It really was. I, you know, you say those words, but unless you experience it, it's hard, to, it's hard to really understand. We had that little building over there that you saw, and we had two rooms like this. And uh, when I first came, the ladies met in one, one little room over here, and the men met over here on that old asbestos tile. We're still living, by the way. <laughs> and we met, and we, get, we got down. Remember those old tin chairs? We still have some of those. They never get old. I mean, uh, and we got down on our knees. The ladies got down and, they, and we prayed and we said, Lord, we don't really know how to have a church, but we know you sent us here for a purpose and we know that you want to rescue some people. And so we're giving our heart to you. Show us your power. Flex your muscles, Lord. Show us your greatness. And boy, one by one, as Betty said, every service, somebody came down the aisle to accept Jesus as their savior. But it was because we were humbling ourselves in the sight of God. We were depending upon him and not ourselves. Uh, we had prayers like Mr. Dry. How many people remember Mr. Dry? Well, that's a long time ago. Yeah, me and that other person back there. <laughs> Mr. Dry could not hear well, I, that to say the least. Uh, and he would never sit down when we tried to start the service. He liked to greet people. And we would have to always go give him a personal invitation to sit down when the service started. But he took me one day, and it's right back here in that room, and he shut the door, and he says, listen, I want to show you something. 
And he started to pull his pant legs up, and I was saying, I thought to myself, what's going on here? <laughs> and he pulled his pant legs up, and his knees were calloused. I never saw anything, and I hope I never see anything like that again. But that man prayed on his knees. That was his position for prayer. We had him. We had Frances Waddell. She knew the church directory. She knew everybody in the church. She poured over that. We had Don Finney. Albert Finney's father was a great prayer. We had Jim Watt's father and mother, Albert and Dorothy. Anne Rutledge. Matt Pettigrew. Matt Pettigrew prayed every day for Ken Barner. Since Ken was saved as a seven-year-old boy, kid that rode the bus to our church. Rudy Orwick was here last night in the service, who was the bus driver for Ken Barner. And so Matt Pettigrew prayed every day of his life for Ken Barner. And I'm sure that these prayers that I just mentioned probably had to apologize to God for some of us who were supposed to be the leaders of the church. I'm sure they said, listen, help the pastor. He doesn't know very much. He's a novice in the ministry. Lord, please help him get through this. Uh, but they prayed for us. And the pastor and the church staff got stronger in God. You know, I'm convinced that the way to get a better pastor and church staff is to pray for the one you have. The church did that, and we got better at what we did. The years rolled on. Our third son, Steve, came along. The Arnold boys grew up. John married Lori from Garland, Texas. Danny married Leslie from Newark, Ohio. Steve married Tammy Haney, sweethearts from grade school right here in the church. Joanne and I became empty nesters. My partner, Joanne, in life always encouraged me. She never got bitter with negative circumstances. She would always joyfully serve the Lord in every area of the church. She, like most pastors' wives, spent half of her life in the nursery taking care of the kids. And then she moved up to the educable slow class. That's a hard class, and for years she did that. Those people were challenged physically and mentally, and she did that. And then up until the last day of our pastorate here, she taught the ladies' Bible class. And, and yesterday, we celebrated our 55th wedding anniversary. You know, pastoring, though, they say, they say is not a forever proposition. I thought it was going to be forever. I thought one day I'd just fall over right up here. And they would say, well, he's done. <laughs> he finished. Uh, but I, as I began to think, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should uh, not do that. And so uh, the question was, who's going to lead the church? That's always a big question. I tried to talk to Jim Watts about that, but he'd never have any part of it, he said. Every time I talked to him about being the pastor, he had something to do, some work to do around the church. He left me. And we, ran, we entered into a transition period, and I didn't really know what that was. You remember I stood up here one Sunday and I said, we're going to transition the ministry. I didn't know what I was talking about, really, because I never did that. And, and uh, I met with the deacons. I said, listen, we're just going to trust God. And I, I know that there are some churches that would that have a, 
somebody from another city come in, a consultant to tell the church what to do. And I thought, you know, our church has been dependent on prayer all the time. Why don't we just pray about it? And some people were really a little bit baffled about that. What are you doing to find the next pastor? I said, and I had, listen, I had no clue, no clue or pre-plan who's going to be the pastor of this church. I was totally open to whatever God did. And I said, let's just pray about it. Let's just see what God will do. And so we began to pray about it. The only thing I knew about the transition is I'd have to preach less, lead less, and I began to do that. Pastor Ken, other past, I let other people preach as well. But every third Sunday, we had this little routine going. And then God eventually gave us this seven-year-old kid that Matt Pettigrew prayed for every day of his life who grew up among us. Uh, Dan, Dan McNeese, I heard Danny said, if we could have constructed a transition, it could have never been as perfect as what God did here in our church. Never been as perfect. And we trusted God alone. God took this seven-year-old kid who was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He preached on the streets of New York City publicly. He preached in, on the streets of Pittsburgh the gospel of Christ. He preached in all sorts of foreign countries. He earned two master's degrees in theology. Ken and Rhonda, it's obvious, uh, God's hand is upon them and has been upon them for a long time. Last year, you had the greatest Christmas offering you ever had in the history of the church. I was not here. God blessed the church in an incredible way. The church has rallied around Ken and Rhonda. Every now and then I'll call Jim. I'll say, Jim, how's the church doing? He said, it's fantastic. He said, the attendance is up. The offerings are up. I said, I've heard enough, Jim. Let's talk about something. <laughs> Not really. I, I feel like a father. And you know, fathers always want their kids to do better, right? Always. I'm so proud of what God has done in our church. God's taken our church to a new level. So many of the good things in my life have happened in the church. As an 11-year-old boy, I wept my way into the arms of Christ in a church. I asked for forgiveness. When I was 18, my, God answered my mother's prayers that I would be a preacher. She said, Johnny, I'm praying for you that you'll be a preacher. I said, Mom, please don't do that. I don't want to do that. But the effective fervent prayer, as you've heard, at 18, I dedicated my life to preach the gospel. At 18, I met my life partner, Joanne, and we've served the Lord together all these years. Uh, the future of the church is for the next generation and the next generation. And my appeal to you today is to join the company of believers in the church. Just don't come to church and sit down and just kind of enjoy all the fellowship. Become a believer. Believer that the church can really rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Uh, that's what we did in the beginning. God can change lives who are trapped behind Satan's gates. Never tell a, never tire of telling your story. Mary Jane Anthony had a neighbor. Her name was Mary Jane Stephan. Mary Jane Stephan needed Jesus as her Savior, as everybody does. Mary Jane Anthony kept believing and praying for 20 years. She believed and prayed. She would invite her to church, and I know Mary Jane said, I have to go golfing. 
She liked to go. Or I have to do that, or I say, I have to do that eventually after 20 years of believing. Believing is the key. Believing is the key. Mary Jane came to church. Not long after that, she opened her heart to Jesus. She said, I want to get involved in the church. She was not a young person at the time. She said, I want to work with the teenage girls here in the church. I said, well, we'll send you over to Straight Street. They love Mary Jane Stephan at Straight Street. She was in the Marines. They called her Sarge. They love her, and they love her to this day. And she meets you almost every Sunday morning out there with a bulletin in her hand and welcomes you into this church. And she's been here for 20 years. Mary Jane Stephan, right there. Now, now with, with these two thoughts, let me leave you with these two thoughts. How do we do all this? Tell God that you're going after these people, okay? Pray to God. Make a list and say, God, here's my list. Bless my list. You promise that the gates of hell can't keep me out of these people's lives. Let me get in their life. Tell God, first of all. And then tell them that you're coming after them. It may be as simple as I'm praying for you. Wally Knoll was here in the first service, sat, sat right in the front. His mother was a wonderful Christian. Wally was not interested in the things of God. He came to this church one time, a long time ago, and somebody walked up to him and said, Wally, we're praying for you. It broke his heart. And he came to Christ. Tell the people that you're going after, you're coming after them. You don't have to be belligerent or you don't have to be forceful, but just to say, listen, I care about you. I care for your soul. I'm praying for you. I remember when my dad was alive, he would get on the telephone with his brother, Charles Arnold, in Maryland and beg him to become a Christian. And Charles would almost mock my dad. And I've seen my father in tears as he begged his brother to come to Christ. My dad never lived to see his brother saved. But when his brother came to my father's funeral, he gave his life to Christ. And he went back to Maryland and he joined a church just like this and started to serve the Lord the rest of his life. So tell God you're coming after these people and claim the promises of God that, uh, that the gates of hell can't keep you out, that you and Christ are a majority. Well, I know you've been thinking about your friends that need to be rescued, don't you? Listen, always be thinking about them. First of all, maybe you're here today and you're never, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. A young girl walked out of this service in the first service, she shook my hand. She said, I have accepted Jesus today as my Savior. She had tears in her eyes. I said, go tell Pastor Ken, you've accepted Jesus today as your Savior. Well, maybe you're here like her today. Maybe you've never opened your heart to Christ. Uh, I'd like to ask you to do that today as we bow our head in prayer. So let's all bow our head in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I want to ask you to look down in your heart. Who's running your life? Are you running from God or are you interested? Who do you believe Jesus is? Do you believe he's the Messiah, the son of the living God? If so, he has something important to say to you. He died on the cross for your sins. If you're here today and you've never truly opened your heart to Christ, I give you that invitation right there where you sit. Just pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Lord, come into my heart. 
Come in today and come in to stay. I'm sorry for my sins. I turn, I repent of my sins and I turn to you for forgiveness, Lord. I accept your forgiveness that you purchased for me upon the cross. Send your spirit to live in my life. Change me. Transform my life. And maybe today you're a Christian, but maybe you've been a little lukewarm. Maybe you haven't been too excited about loving the church lately. Ask God to give you a love for the church. Just say, Lord, let me love the church some way like you do. Just give me a love for the church. Help me to be involved in the church, to make an investment here, to be a part of the believers in this place. Pastor Ken. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, just uh, continue to meet with the Lord. Maybe today you opened your heart to Jesus. You just prayed with Pastor John. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you, share it with somebody after the service. Uh, gra- grab Pastor John, grab myself, grab any, somebody that you know that loves you and cares about you around this place and say, hey, today I opened my heart. I want to know more. Help me get grounded in Jesus. Father God, I pray that you'll be with each and every person in this place, Lord. I thank you for the man of God that you brought here this morning. Thank you for Pastor John and his, uh, his faithfulness to you, Lord, for so many years. I thank you for his powerful words that he shared this morning and just reminding us, Lord, of, of who you are and how great our God is. And we stand here today and we celebrate Jesus Christ, the foundation upon which our church is laid. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Wasn't that exciting today, folks? I'd like to, uh, I'd like to just ask Pastor John to come back up here. We have just a little, little plaque here we'd like to give him just in recognition. You know, a year and a half ago, whenever he... He moved to Texas in December. We had a celebration, and we thank God for him, and, and, uh, and we really did it up. But I just have this plaque here. It says, John H. Arnold, Pastor Emeritus. You know, he is, he is Pastor Emeritus of our church that, uh, you know, God has placed a call on his life. There's an occupation, and then there's a vocation. And the word vocation comes from the root word voice, and that's what God did. God spoke into this man's life and called him. And while he may, not long, he may no longer have the occupation of a lead pastor of a church, but he has the vocation from God, the call from God. Amen? Amen. And we thank God for that. So, so we, we've given him the title Pastor Emeritus, and he will always be home here at Crossroads. Amen? This is his home, and he will always be home here. It's, uh, it's said. It says here, thank you, thank you for 47 years of faithfully serving the family of God at Crossroads Ministries. Let's thank Pastor John Arnold. We love him dearly. Bring your wife up. Bring your wife
And here's the lady that kept the fire burning at home right here. Amen. Hey, I, I looked up the word emeritus. You know what it means? Honorable discharge. That's, that's, that's exactly what it means. Go, go when you look at look it up. Hey, I'm going to come back a lot more often. Okay? Can I come back? Okay. Uh, Sandy, you're the greatest. I I know when Sandy's here, the whistle is whistling as always. Isn't it exciting to see what God's doing in the church? Okay, now we're all going over to the gym now, right? We're going to have yes. a lot of fellowship. Can we pray We're going to pray for the meal here. Pastor John and Joanne, if you'll okay. head to the Come foyer on. so you can greet everybody on the way out. We want to invite everyone to please join us. We have a picnic lunch in the gymnasium. Let's just pray and thank God for the food, shall we? Our God, we come before you and we thank you for this great day. Thank you for our legacy weekend, Lord, where we can, where we can stop and remember our foundation and remember most of all that our foundation is on you. We thank you, God, for the, the work that you are doing here. You're always building. You're always growing your work. Uh, you said that you would build the church, Lord, and thank you for using us to be your hands, your feet, to go out and build and work with you, Lord. Thank you for Pastor John this morning, Lord, and we thank you for this food that we're about to eat. We ask that you'll uh, just bless our time of fellowship, bless the hands that have prepared this food over there, Lord. We thank you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.